It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Spezia review episode, and I'm joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is a pundit for TV2 Sport in Denmark, and he is certainly no stranger to this podcast. Chris Kaiser, welcome back to the First Napoli podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. And yeah, what a nice time to be an Napoli fan, really. Yeah, absolutely. We've got nothing but smiles on our face. People can't see you, but you're smiling ear to ear right now. And and for good reason, uh, we got another win against Spezia on Sunday. We're going to review that match, of course. And then at the end, we'll chat a little bit about the Santoriello video that has been doing the rounds on social media. But let's start with that Spezia match. As you know, Napoli won 3-0 on goals from Hvica Karaschelia from the penalty spot and a brace from Victor Osimen. All three goals were scored in the second half. All three goals were the direct result of mistakes made by Spezia players. We'll come back to the goals in just a moment, but I want to talk a little bit about that first half. Chris, some Napoli fans that I speak to regularly were sort of losing their minds a little bit at the break, saying that we were dreadful in the first half when you can make all these changes. Perhaps we've just been so spoiled by this team that when we don't score five goals in the first half or three or whatever it might be, we we suddenly think we played awful. I actually don't think we were that bad in the first half. What do you think? Well, I totally agree, Joe. I think, you know, we were dominating. We still had, I think, 77% possession. Especially, they, they, I think they tried to copy Inter when they lined up in their 3-5-2 and sort of had Ampadu and Amiang to try to catch Paraschelia on, on their side. I think also, you know, maybe the pitch was not really watered the same way as maybe as usual. So it, it was a bit bumpy from time to time, which of course is little harder for us to keep the flow in in the game that we like so much the pitch was, is even it's one of the narrow pitches and actually in uh, in italy so it's i think it's like three meters narrower than uh, the maradona stadium it doesn't help us when we want to play with the width and try to use those areas those open spaces that that are created on the pitch so i think we were in in good control naturally you will always wish to have a little um, faster play whenever you move the ball around but i think we overall did well and again you know we're not giving away anything in the back either even though we, we try to push forward we still have that way of offending ourselves and not coming into those unpleasant situations. We are doing tremendously well. And we're actually in the top on that parameter as well when you look at, at those stats overall for the, for the Serie A. So these kind of games is always where we have to be patient at times. And sooner or later, we will break the deadlock and it will come. And when it comes, it's like 
opening a ketchup bottle and things happening. So I was not concerned really. Also with special having so many players out, they had to even use a new elder Shvodorov up front instead of the faster players like Yazi and, and Zola. So they couldn't even create a counterattack that would create damage for us. So we were in complete control and I think it was just a matter of time and we saw it very quickly in the second half. So um, I was overall happy with the first half and um, only maybe, I think, Di Lorenzo played a little bit on the par, to be honest. I think he was struggling a little bit on the surface and and had some balls to Lozano as well that was not easy for him to play, which also you know caught Lozano out of position, which actually created that yellow card for him in the game. So there was a few things that could have been better, of course, in the first half. But overall, I think it was fine. And um, we were in complete control. And I just knew it would come sooner than later. Yeah, we're pretty much at the top of almost all statistical categories, which, you know, you put that all together. And there's a reason why Napoli are top of the table as well. I'm not saying that we were amazing in the first half, but really, aside from just a couple of plays, I thought we played well. I mean, the two plays that I'm referring to both happened inside the opening 10 minutes of the match and both fell to Kevin Agudelo. I mean, the first one was the result of a dangerous pass by Cavada. It was intended for Lobotka in the middle of the park. He overhit it a little bit and Agudelo countered the other way. Unfortunately for us, instead of passing, he went for the shot and he didn't hit the target. And then the second one was a few minutes later when... Daniela Verde crossed the ball into the area. Mario Rui cleared it, but he cleared it straight to Agudelo. And then Amir Rachmani just bailed him out with a brilliant sliding block. Rachmani, I thought, had a fantastic match. I think he's very quickly returned to the form that we saw before the World Cup break or before his injury. Kim has had a couple of mistakes here and there, but he always makes up for it anyway. So those two are looking solid as ever. But other than those two chances, like you said, I think we were in complete control for the balance of the half. I can't really think of any other Spezia chances. And then we had, you know, a couple of chances of our own. Our best one is probably that Di Lorenzo header early in the match from the corner kick that just sort of flashed wide of the right. uh, post. Cavada came close late in the half. That was after that clever little exchange with Nguisa on the left wing, and then his shot missed the near post. Zielinski and Lozano both had a couple of chances, maybe half chances. Zielinski shot straight at Drangovski, and Lozano skied his shot over the bar. So we created some chances. But I think the reason why I was okay with that first half was because I saw what we were trying to do. It was very clear to me that Mario Rui was looking for Victor Osiman pretty much every time he got the ball. He was trying to play either a long ball over the top or cross the ball into the area. It was clear that we wanted to break down Spezia with our sort of usual long pass-heavy passages of play. There was one sequence, I think it was just past the midway point of the half, where we completed 29 consecutive passes, and then it ended with Mario Rui crossing to Osiman. And that was the play where his header bounced off the defender and went out for a corner kick. You know, one thing I, I might have underestimated is what you mentioned with the narrow pitch. I knew it was a narrower pitch than sort of the standard Serie pitches. I, I actually looked it up, and the standard length is 105 meters long and 68 meters wide. And the Pico is 105 meters long, but it's only 65 meters wide. So like you said, it's three meters more narrow. And I really do think that that might have limited our ability to stretch them horizontally and you know we're all about space so that just made it slightly harder to break them down i don't think it helped us that spezia also defended really well right like i think we also need to give them credit for that i, I think they kind of played out of their minds i i sent a, a joke to a friend of mine that they're pressing like sort of peak liverpool or counter pressing like <laughs> peak liverpool did like what is going on here spezia is playing really really well so while I respect everyone's opinions, for me, I think the first half wasn't as doom and gloom as some people might have thought it was. I'm just adding to what you're saying is that when you had like so many players out that Spezia had for this game, sometimes the agenda for a team becomes more clear in order to say, OK, what is it that we're going to do here? We're trying to keep ourselves alive as long as we can and defend in the low block and you know with the pitch as well with the lineup and everything yeah they did well and you can say that those chances we had i think apart from the Di lorenzo header as you mentioned we didn't create those like massively big 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 chances so i think their game plan worked well you also have to give them credit for those things but like i said it, it sometimes it helps when you just know that you're coming into a game knowing for sure that you have to keep it tight and stay in the low block that's also why 
they're so disappointed at giving away those those goals from those mistakes because they their game plan worked the way they wanted it to work. So overall, you can't complain over this team. They're doing exactly what they can and they're fighting against relegation and and still have to watch out for those spots down there. There's something going on with the other teams down there. So you can't blame them. We just knew that they would be coming in the second half. Absolutely. So let's move on to the second half then because it really could not have started any better for us. Uh, you know, we win a penalty kick with 10 seconds after the restart. What did you make of that whole play? Well, what a blunder, really. I mean, sometimes I remember talking to one of my other friends about the Serie A as a whole, that, that some of these smaller teams in the Serie A really sometimes have some... Uh, they are really lacking defensively with sometimes with the quality that we see there. And this is a very, very good example of lack of quality because what Recha is doing in, in that moment, you have no idea. Of course, you can say that if they didn't water the pitch as much as they wanted, this is maybe the reason why it's take that bounce off the pitch as it did. And that created that, you know, can call it a um, funny incident where he ended up using his hand. And obviously it's a clear penalty. So you can say that they, if they actually uh, try to make a plan, making sure the pitch is, is dry and, and not helpful for Napoli, it ended up bouncing back in their heads uh, just a few seconds into the second half. So, so a clear penalty and um, obviously very, very happy and pleased to see that Kvitsa is stepping up for this. We saw him scoring against Ajax in the Champions League on penalty. We saw him also scoring in um, the friendly match before the, the season kicked off, uh, I can't remember, was it in Castel di Sangro? He scored the goal. We've had a few misses from um, Politano, from uh, Oshimen. So I think it was great to see him stepping up in that role. And, um, you know, he made no question. So just um, a 1-0 lead. And you just know that when we get that goal, that means that you can say that Spetsa might not change their game plan significantly from the get-go of that 1-0 goal, but you knew that sooner than later they would be coming out of their low block, which is something we also saw a little bit later on. But um, absolutely disaster for Spetsa to go 1-0 down this way, but it made it so much easier for us. And, you know, you saw that the team is growing from there. You know, the, the confidence is growing. You know, you can, you can just see that they are in even more control of the game because we are 1-0 up. Yeah, one thing that's maybe not spoken about as much or people may not realize is that while we have all these set pieces, sort of routines for corner kicks and free kicks, we actually do have a set piece for the opening kickoff as well. Like we often see all the Napoli players or say eight out of the 10 will line up right at midfield and right from the kickoff, they'll all sprint downfield. And usually what we do is we pass the ball back to one of our center backs. The center back passes to Mario Rui on the left side, and he'll play a long ball forward, probably aimed towards Osiman. This was a slight variation of it where the center backs played the ball back to Zielinski at midfield. He touched it to Lobotka, and Lobotka played that long ball over the top towards Politano. I don't know if we want to give Spalletti credit for replacing Lozano with Politano. Personally, I think that change was more because of that yellow card that you mentioned that Lozano picked up in the first half. And, you know, he can be a little bit of an erratic player and, and lunge in or whatever. And you don't want to risk, especially at nil-nil, you don't want to risk him picking up a second yellow and really hurting our chances of winning the match. But it was Politano's defender that handled the ball there. As you said, it took a bit of a funny bounce. I think also the pass from Lobotka had backspin on it. So it, it kind of looked like kind of like a, a golf chip shot that holds up, right? Where the ball's spinning backwards and it seems to take a bit longer to come back down and happen to catch Retz's arm out. It was unfortunate, but as you said, it's a clear penalty. His arm's away from his body. I thought it was very interesting that Cavada took the penalty kick. You know, after the Sampdoria match, Spalletti said that he lets the players pick who takes the first penalty kick, and then it's predetermined. In other words, he decides who takes the second one. I couldn't tell from the broadcast, but it looked like just from how quickly it was decided that Cavada was going to take the penalty, that maybe in this case, Spalletti had decided before the match on who would take the first one, not just the second one. And maybe that's because Politano didn't start, so... Even though he had come on, he was only 10 seconds in. He was still cold, and, and that lended towards Cavada taking it. But as you said, it was a very confident penalty kick. It's not easy to go high, and and he made it look really easy. And yeah. 
I think we're all kind of hoping that that sort of solidified his position as as the penalty taker going forward. Yeah, also because you can still say that at the end of the day, when Spalletti is going to make his starting eleven, it's still a, an open question whether it's going to be Politano or whether it's going to be Lozano. So I think if I were the manager or the coach of anything, I, I would probably prefer to have my go-to guy that I will know will, will start whenever it's it's my strongest lineup. But I think, you know, that right wing is still the question mark for Spalletti, regardless of, of whether it's a big match or um, you can say a, a smaller match like the Spezia game. So I think it's better and more wiser to just have that that thing cleared and I'm absolutely positive that they have made these arrangements before the game because Politano, as you said, started out. So I don't know what this is going to make of changes for the future in the event that both Politano and Farasheria is is starting together. That's going to be interesting to look out for in the future. But I'm just happy how he stepped up and he made no mistake. So a great, great goal. And yeah, we moved on from there, basically. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to the second goal, which was somewhat fortunate as well. It started with Cavada crossing the ball into the area. I think Nicolau blocked the clearance, and then Ethan Ampadu cleared the ball straight up into the air. Drangovski was a little bit slow to react, and that allowed Osimhen to sneak in. But Chris, that was some play by Victor to score his league-leading 15th goal of the season. Uh, that was crazy. You know, Joe, when you when you're sitting and watching you, I, I'm usually sitting in my sofa. So usually when you're sitting in your sofa, you you kind of uh, you get that feeling that, okay, now it's going to be dangerous in a build-up play by Napoli. And you move to the edge of the sofa. But in this point in time, I was not at the edge of any sofa because I didn't see anything coming whatsoever. And then out of the blue, all of a sudden, he just, he hunt down every smallest little chance that you find out there. And then he jumps higher than uh, the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, actually turned out to be uh, apparently the, the, the highest jump ever recorded in, in the Serie A. He, he jumped higher than Cristiano Ronaldo, who did that against uh, Sampdoria some years ago. Two meters and 58 centimeters, as far as I know. It's unbelievable to think about because all of us who played football, I used to be a striker back in the days, not a not a especially good one. But, you know, I've tried it a million times, I guess, but I've been nowhere near reaching the, the same height as the goalkeeper's hands. So what a blunder again from Dragowski. And I think he this is just something he's going to be have nightmare over for years because um, he has to do better in this. He has to time his jump much better than Oshiman. But I'm not going to take anything away from him. He just he sneaks up everywhere and he hunts down the smallest things. We see it over and over again in his play. Let it be down the wing or let it be in the box or let it be like this. This is a way to uh, inspire other strikers to say they go for it and hunt it down because they are always the smallest little opportunity. And this is this was really a goal decisive moment because you can say that the three nil goal is different, but but that two nil cushion that you get with somewhat twenty minutes left on the clock that is just perfect. And just how Spalletti he wants these games to be played because that allows us to to rest more on the ball. It allows us to make the changes. It allows us not to be uh, playing as intensive as we have done prior in the game. So it just, it helps us in so many ways that it cannot even be described really, because these are just the small percentages, the small marches that you find everywhere in the game. And that's even going to help us against Cremonese and it's going to help us against Frankfurt when the upcoming game. So I have no word for it. And I'm just so happy for, uh, for Oshi to get this goal and he's just growing and growing and growing and um, you know with the loss of of all our players during the summer transfer window it's just fantastic to see how new players or other players are growing into new roles and he's taking his team with him and drive it forward and it's just uh, yeah I, 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 I get goosebumps from this because I'm, I'm just so thrilled and so happy for him and I'm just, yeah, so proud, to be honest. So I'm so happy he scored this goal. And it's it's going to be one of those goals that whenever he's, you know, retiring in, in many years from now, he's going to tell his grandchildren that, look at this goal I scored. So this is just unbelievable. Absolutely. So the Cristiano Ronaldo leap was 2.56 meters. And as you said, Osimhen jumped 2.58. So 0.02 meters higher than Ronaldo, which is 
cool and all, but I mean, they were very different plays. Victor basically went up for a jump ball, whereas Ronaldo was running towards the goal. I'm no Ronaldo fanboy, but I, I think the Ronaldo play was probably more athletic. I mean, I went back and looked at it and it was like he froze in midair waiting for that ball to get to him before he headed it in. But that's not to take away from the quality of the Victor Osimhen goal, as you talked about. Lorenzo Amoruso on the English World Feed compared him to a Cobra who's just sort of waiting to pounce. And I think the hallmark of a great goal scorer is that they find ways to score, no matter how those goals might come. And we're seeing that now with Osimhen. This was by no stretch of the imagination, a traditional goal from a number nine. And we know that Osimhen is a fearless player and that comes with risk, but it also comes with reward. I mean, on the extreme end of the risk side of the spectrum, we had that face injury when he collided with Milan Skriniar, where he's so fearless that he goes into a play like that. And unfortunately, he came out pretty beat up on that occasion. Perhaps this is not the extreme end of the reward side of the spectrum, but that same fearlessness leads to goals like this, right? And Drangovsky got a lot of the blame, but to me, it was as much on Ampadu and Nicolau. You know, I don't know what Ampadu was trying to do with that clearance. I guess he just kind of mishit the ball and it went straight up into the air. Obviously, he would have liked to get that ball further down the pitch and out to safety. And then Nikolaou just kind of seemed to stand in between Osimhen and Drangovsky. But yeah, Drangovsky deserves his share of the credit as well because he was late to react. So even if Nikolaou wasn't there, I don't even know that he would have had a play on that ball before Osimhen got there. What did you think about the celebration with the players in the corner there after the goal? <laughs> beautiful and and great you know like uh, looking at it you know we're looking up against the beautiful moment that we all are trying to aim for that beautiful trophy and uh, I just think it's amazing to see how united the squad is there's no complaint whatsoever there's nothing no one has appeared to be unhappy and and, and you even see like Rasparori coming on and just celebrating so happy like he has a lot of reasons to maybe be um, a little bit uh, sad or frustrated with himself over these things. But this is really where you talk about perfect management by Spalletti, the way he had managed to unite this as a group and play as a unit. It is unbelievable. And that creates the depth that we have in the squad that helps us. When I mentioned about bringing on the players later in the games, like Again, uh, Giovanni Simeone from the last week goal against Roma, like uh, how many times you have decided things for us and put the margins on our side. And it's just happy. I'm just so happy to see how the, the squad is united. And, and you can also see from the 3-0 goal, like so many players in Farascelia's situation, they will just hit the target themselves. Like using Oshiman to distract a goalkeeper like Dragowski, but then just score yourself. But he's unselfish. And then he just puts it aside for Oshi because he knows that, okay, he is in a better position to score. And I think it's just a, a small little example of how great this squad is united and how, how well-functioned machine it is. And it is next-level management by Spalletti. And, and again, when you think about other managers like Allegri and, and Mourinho, who are even younger than him in terms of age, then you still see Spalletti outbeating these managers with his management and, and rethinking tactically, rethinking how to, to work with a squad. And I think I have no words for it because there's really nothing negative to say about this. And it's, it's almost scary that we're standing in this situation. You can't even point out something. I think it's unbelievable. I, I noticed also you... Um, you had a different prediction from your starting lineup, I think, prior to this match. And I think it's also interesting how he seems to be just sticking to his his 11 that way and, and try to say, OK, this is now where we are. We're going to stick to this. So we, we make sure that relations are in place. And that's going to be very interesting to see now it's, if he's going to change things for the Cremonese game again with Frankfurt coming up. Also to keep them sharp or how he's going to approach this, because at least when we are when we're up at the hour mark, he can make these changes and make sure that those five subs are coming on. They can feel they are part of this Scudetto. And that is just so important for us, not just when it comes to the Scudetto, but also our our chances that I, I feel we have as a dangerous outsider for the Champions League. So he's doing a tremendous job and you just see that happiness in the squad over and over again. And I'm unbelievable thrilled of it. So it's fantastic to be um, witness. 
Yeah, so I was expecting at least a couple of changes, just to your point, to try to engage the rest of the squad. Spalletti went with his tried and, and trusted starting 11. It's hard to argue with that either. And especially after that first half, once again, Spalletti was smarter than I am. <laughs> but, but it will be interesting to see you know, how he engages the rest of those players. Now with Cremonese, I mean, I'll preview that match in another episode, but I wonder if he'll have that Coppa Italia match on his mind and Again, probably feel that strongest starting 11. On the celebration, I was asked about this on Twitter, and unfortunately, I haven't seen anything written about what exactly the celebration was about. My best guess is that it was a reference to that classic line from Superman. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's OC men sort of thing. Juan um, yeah. Jesus <laughs> had a great post on Instagram. For those of you who don't follow him on Instagram, he constantly makes these funny little posts comparing himself to Batman, and he calls himself Bat Juan. <laughs> Um, so, so he posted a picture of Bat Juan with Super Osimen, and it was sort of Osimen edited to look like Superman, which was sort of confirmation for me, at least, about the celebration. That picture was by a marketing agency called FV Digital Lab, and they do some really cool edits. Uh, you know, check those out. They've done a few with uh, Napoli players. You might have seen the one with Di Lorenzo edited to look like Captain America. There's there's one with Osimen riding a Jaguar. They, they seem to do quite a few <laughs> Napoli edits. So that was pretty cool. You mentioned the... Cavada assist on the third goal. Once again, it was the result of a Spezia error. This time it was Lobotka who pressed Caldada into conceding possession at the edge of the Spezia area. And then, as you said, Cavada passed the ball off. And I completely agree with you. I was actually going to bring this up as well, that that was sort of the ultimate sign of both the partnership that Cavada and Osiman have together, but also just what a team player Cavada is because he took the unselfish route. He, he forgo or for, I don't know what the word he, he gave up an opportunity <laughs> for gold. Uh, he, he gave up an opportunity to score when he really could have gone for it. We were up two nil at that point. There's 15 minutes left to play the chances of Spezia scoring two goals in the final 15 minutes, though not impossible. were probably pretty slim, but he still went with sort of the play that was best for the team. Yeah, I just want to add that you think about how many players in this world that are now just playing for themselves, really, and playing for their own career. And if we take Serie A on a different scale and we try to think about it, we kind of know that the Serie A is obviously is not as strong as it was in the 80s and the 90s and the early days after the millennium. So we, we are in Serie A a part of the food chain, basically. And we will see some of these players, maybe Oshiman, go this summer to somewhere in the Premier League and make a lot of money. So they are their own little business themselves. And if you look at Kvitsa, he could easily have put maybe another goal to his tally and brought up his value, whatever. But still, he understands that he's a part of a group and he stay humble that way and know, okay, we, we are in it together. I just think it's so beautiful because it's kind of a, a rare thing nowadays in football where, like I said, players are simply their, their own little business. And um, that took him up to, I think, eight assists, I think, in the league. So he he's now uh, number one when it comes to that. Or is it? No, nine assists, I think, actually. Yeah. So it's uh, on top of Milinkovic Savic. So it's a great, great story. And, and what a player. I don't think I've ever seen anything coming out of the blue like that before so and i've i've watched i watched somewhere between uh, 15 to 20 football games every week so i don't recall i've seen anything like this so it's like a miracle to be honest and i'm just honored to be able to witness it so close here yeah and that's the irony right like even when he was being unselfish he still improved his stats because, as you said, he picked up his ninth assist in Serie A. So he now has one more than Sergei Milinkovic-Savic of Lazio leading the league. And with Adamola Lukman not scoring for Atalanta, Osimen now has four goals more than his nearest rival in the race for Capo Canonieta. Lautaro Martinez joined Lukman on 12 goals with his goal in the Derby della Madonnina. That was the only goal of that match. So unfortunately, Inter remained 13 points behind us. That was the one result we probably didn't want from that match. Obviously, a draw or a Milan win would have allowed us to extend our lead, but Milan are just in absolutely dreadful form right now. They've managed only two points in their last five league matches. They were eliminated from the Coppa Italia by Tenman Torino. They lost the Supercoppa to Inter. So it's a full-on crisis for the Rossoneri. Just like that, they went from being our biggest rivals for the Scudetto to now hoping to qualify for the Champions League, which is just crazy. 
Oh yeah, what a story! What a shocking story! I um I was in uh, Dubai just before Christmas, and I watched them playing against uh, Arsenal down there in Liverpool as well. And even there, I think things started for Milan. So it, it's just shocking to see how things are going. And when I look at Pioli right now, he looks like a man who is panicking out there on the sideline. And obviously, they are facing a very very strong opponents coming up they have i think torino on friday you know they also have to play atalanta they have the tottenham game coming up in the champions league so it's going to be very very tough for ac milan in these upcoming games and do they even dare to sack him they just renewed his contract i think last year so they're really struggling in milan at that this moment and then for inter obviously yeah they are our strongest opponent right now you know when they have brosovic coming back in the squad they have maybe a Lukaku who looked better than we have seen for a long time, actually. Slow improvements, I would say. I think it seems like they have solved the screener situation in defense. Naturally, they have two uh, Derby d'Italia with uh, Juventus playing in the uh, Coppa Italia. And they also have Porto to play in the Champions League. So I don't really see us slipping up. You know, we have to lose four games. If we lose four games, we're still up by one point towards Inter. We play them at home as well. I find it very, very hard to see it happening, but I'm mainly focused on ourselves and focused on knowing that Spalletti, he seemed to, even though he had never won the Scudetto, he won the Russian Championship twice, I think, with Zenit. He still seems like a guy who knows what it takes. When you look at his way of, of staying focused, he is not out there happy, enjoying every time we score. He's staying focused. He's also been critical in the smallest little things. So he tried to bring the margins on our side all the time. And I'm, I'm absolutely confident that he knows what it takes to bring this baby home. But of course, Champions League for us is a factor because there's also a lot of, a lot of money at stake and we have to go for it for simply as that. We cannot allow just to say, okay, we're going to face a different lineup in the Champions League. We have to go for it. But, but this is what the players are playing for. This is what they signed up for. This is what they wished for. This is what they dreamed of their entire life. So now they have the option to shine and no one will believe in us winning the Champions League. Not really. I still believe people would think that, that Man City, Real Madrid, Bayern München, probably a little, uh, higher up on that note so we can in some way play very freely in these games and i think we just have to give it a go and it's exciting time to look forward to for sure the Laurentiis is doing his part as well there have been reports that he's offering bonuses to the players i think it's five million euros if they win the scudato another five million euros if they reach the semi-finals of the champions league i mean i don't know how much motivation that gives the players, I think it works out to something like 200,000 euros for each competition, which may or may not be a big deal for them. And then there were also some comments reported today. We're recording on Wednesday to build magazine that he has no intention of selling OC men. We'll see. I think this is all part of his negotiating tactics, to be honest, to kind of drive that price up or at least not take less than he thinks OC men is worth. Okay. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk briefly about some of the off the pitch matters around this match. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fortsanopoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fortsanopoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and the website at fortsanopolypress.com. Okay, so let's talk about some of the off the field stories. The first one was a rather nice one before the match started. For those who didn't see this, I guess OC men during the warmups hit someone behind the goal at Spezia fan. And because of who he is, he decided to go and greet that person in the fan. So he, he went over there, he climbed into the stands and he apologized and, and he gave her a hug. Chris, it seems like Osiman just can do no wrong at the moment, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, that's for sure. I actually, um, I got a text from uh, my colleague who was commentating this match because, you know, what happens when you commentate, you actually get the live feed 
a little earlier than the rest of us who's just watching it. And he was messaging me. So do you know anything about uh, Oshimin and the fans or anything like that? Anything special? Because he missed out that there was no um, Napoli fans like Tivosi's in, in the stands because of the uh, incident against Roma on the highway. So uh, I was like texting him, but there's no Napoli fans there. So I was like, because I didn't see it at that point in time. So I was surprised when I heard that, that he actually jumped into the stands. But like you're saying, he can do nothing wrong at the moment. And I think it shows a lot about his character. He gives a lot of time. It seems to actually talk to people, even on social media, people who he had never met really before, maybe taking a little picture with them here and there. But he seems to have a lot of confidence and a lot of, when things are going down your way, obviously you, you generate a lot of confidence in your body and you feel like you have a lot of things to give back to people. And that's what he's doing right now. And Obviously, it, it's nice to also see the, the Spetscher fans clapping and, and cheering these things and, and honoring it. It's great because, you know, it can happen. I mean, we've all been standing behind a goal and we've all seen how they try to hit the target hundreds and hundreds of times, but <laughs> hardly hit the target in the warm-up. So obviously, it will happen. And I'm just, you know, even on the backside of COVID and all that stuff, I'm just happy to see that that there's space for these things in a modern world because you know how the distance between fans and players has become, the depth has become bigger and bigger over time. Back in the days, you saw the players coming out and, and really cheering with the side and, and celebrating those goals. And, and But because of protecting the players' bodies and heart and everything else, you know, you try and keep these distance to the fans. And I'm just happy to see it because it, it makes them really humans, uh, just like you and me. And um, and what a character Oshi he is. So uh, it's just, it builds to his uh, his legacy and it builds to his personality. And um, for us Napoli fans, we're probably not surprised by his beautiful character, but thankfully and hopefully I know a lot of other people have honored it even more. And I'm just happy for uh, for Victor that he's getting his moment to shine. So it was a great moment and I'm um, happy to see uh, it turned out well. So we're both good friends with Daniel Bowen, and he has a new show with his son Mario called Napoli Nation TV, which I highly recommend to everyone. And they interviewed Victor's friend, Oma Akatugba. And as you and I both know, and, and a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, know Dan as well, he goes to a lot of games, Napoli matches both home and away. And one of the things that Dan mentioned on that episode was just how great Victor is with the fans. And he has, he seems to have so much time for them. He's happy to take pictures. You know, there was that one story about the young man who works at the Maradona or used to work. I don't know if he still has his job, but <laughs> he wanted to meet Victor and Victor gave him a shirt. And then now he has a rap video out there and all about that whole thing. And he just seems to be like a very genuine person. And you know that he means it when he does these things. Shout out, as you mentioned, to those Spezia fans behind the goal who allowed Victor to climb into the stands and they were clapping for him for what he did. Of course, they all had their cell phones out just like you and I would. <laughs> had we been in that situation, we'd probably be doing the same thing. Unfortunately, not all Spezia fans in attendance showed the same sportsmanship. There were reports after the match that in addition to the usual territorial discrimination, there were chants about the death of Diego Maradona, which is pretty gruesome. Dan actually ran into Calcionapoli 24 after the match, and he was understandably upset about that. You can find that video on their official YouTube channel. Chris, I hate to say it, but nothing really surprises me anymore when it comes to fan mm. behavior in Italy, including from our own fans. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's devastating. It's sad. It, I hardly have anything to say. Then it, it's just... Like, I don't know, you know, I've, I've been to more than 100 games in Italy and, and watched it over and over again. And, and I'm by all means not surprised either. And it's it's sad that it's happening. And um, like, this is a dead man we're talking about. Like, we, we should always respect people who are dead, whether we like them or not. I feel like it's the Italian football's own little pandemic at times. Like, you have this tendency of people saying that, okay, I have purchased this ticket, I'm paying whatever, 20, 30, 50 euros to go in there. And that will allow me, apparently will allow me to talk shit, excuse my French, to people out there. And that's just not how it is. Like you should go in there, naturally you should cheer for your own team and you can use a little bit of a banter here and there. It's always good fun when you have that banter, but there is always a line that you need to, that is there to be drawn. And unfortunately, like you're saying, we are not surprised because it's happening 
week in, week out almost. There's just so many incidents where the line has been crossed. It's sad because if these people that you see, when I'm sitting in the stand, obviously I'm never the one saying these things, but I'm observing these people and I've observed so many incidents, uh, especially about Koulibaly. I remember, you know, where they give these horrible monkey sounds to watch him when he was playing in Napoli. And I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm crying inside myself. And these are the same people that you meet in the streets later on and who's maybe serving a pizza or serving a glass of red wine to you. And these are the same people that you can say is acting normally outside the stadium. But in there, they have this tendency that they can do this discrimination towards people. And, and, and it's people. It's, it's, it's bloody people. And I'm just, like, I'm just asking for just the smallest little respect. And if it was yourself, like, how would you feel? And I just... Yeah, of course, they make a whole lot of money and they are superstars and whatnot, but it's just humans. And I, I'm just, I'm really upset inside myself. And I understand that uh, Dan is, is having the same feeling and he's coming out from the stadium. So obviously he's even more hot-blooded than I am because for me, I've at least I've had a couple of days to sink it in again, even though it will never completely sink in. But it's sad. It, it's happening again and again. And um, like I said, it's the only little pandemic. And I remember a taxi driver, and I'm sorry to say this, I hope not offending anyone, but I remember a taxi driver said to me a couple of years ago in, in Napoli, he said something like this, that Italy is the most beautiful country in the world without the Italians. And by that, he meant that there's just certain things that are happening when it comes to corruption when it comes to to all certain things and of course i know a lot of beautiful italians and thankfully i i've only met beautiful italians they are so warm and so nice in many ways and and um, i have really nothing bad to say about it but what happening inside that stadium in those stadiums it's just like something switch on like something happens in people's head and they just act completely abnormal from whatever you see them in the streets out there and i'm just why why is it happening this is just a sadly another example of it and i wish i wish the uh, football association would once and for all punish these teams and in all of them with severe point deduction that's something that is really hurting for real because that is the only way you can get rid of these things we don't have it here in denmark at all we have chance of course but anything like this the consequences are massive and that's why you don't see it over here but in italy it seems like there's some powerful people in the in the curva or whatever it is that is in control of these things and um, that's allow them to say all these horrible things towards the players and now even uh, people who are dead and who have done so so much for the league like Diego Armando Maradona so um, it's yeah it, it makes me cry and from your experience is this sort of a small subset of the fan base because I'd like to think that you know I don't want to judge the entire Spezia fan base as a whole just like I don't want Napoli fans to be judged as a whole for the behavior of the fans that clashed with the Roma fans on the highway, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. So from your experience, is it typically a subset of the fans that are doing these things in the stadium or is it a bigger part of it? My two cents would be that I think it has become slightly better over the years. Like, you know, like for instance, with Lazio, they don't have the Iridoshibili any longer, really, thanks to Lotito, as far as I remember. So I think certain things have been taken in the right direction, but... When that said, I'm usually sitting in what you call a distinti or you call tribuna, as in more on the long side, because I, I like to sit there because it gives me a good view of the pitch. And you can easily see the, the fan scenes working. And if they have a TIFO coming up, you can easily see it as opposed to be standing in the curva. So what I'm saying is that I'm, you can say this, it might be the curva who's starting certain things, but I've seen it many times where the long side, where you can say that the supposedly more sober people are actually going along with some of these chants and also singing along on it. So you can say that, Maybe it's the Kurva and the small group who is starting things, but there's lots of people who get carried away with this. And this is why I'm, I'm shocked about it because it's the same people who can be so kind and so human in the streets, uh, just like um, two hours later, whenever you meet them for whatever. It's shocking, but it is the Italian pandemic, as I call it. And uh, 
there needs to be some consequences that really are hurting these clubs in order to get rid of it. And they need to clean up from inside out themselves because it, the responsibility is not just that football association needs to punish these teams and these groups, but it also needs to be the teams themselves that need to clean up their own shit. And that might be difficult to do and it might hurt and it might be hurtful in other ways, but that is the only way you can do it. You need to have consequence because this has to go out of football, period. Absolutely. I, I think you've covered that perfectly there, so I don't need to add a whole lot to that. I want to close just quickly touching on the video of Chiro Santoriello that surfaced this week, which is not strictly a, a Napoli matter, but a, you know he did mention Napoli in his comments. So for those who don't know, Santoriello was one of the three prosecutors involved in the Prisma investigation. And in this video that surfaced, he mentioned that he's a Napoli fan and that he's anti-Juventino. Chris, this created chaos on social media. The usual Juventino puppets and minions are now all claiming that this is evidence of a witch hunt or a conspiracy against Juventus. What do you make of this whole situation? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know, as much as we, we love Syria and love Italian football at times, there are parts of it where you can say it's just the same old Italy, the same old Syria, where everyone is, is putting themselves in the victim role and not being able to look things from above. And social media nowadays is certainly not helping that along either because, you know, all of a sudden small rats are popping up here and there and, and saying A, B or C thing. I'm just shocked about that. You know, again, just try and look at yourself. Maybe other teams have done some similar things, but at least just look at yourself first and say, okay, there's things you need to clean up. So I, I'm sad that it's coming out. And um, just thinking about whenever Napoli was declared bankrupt in 2004, Pistitelli, the judge back then, he was even a Napoli fan as well. And he he made that call back then and declared us bankrupt. And even Santoriello, as you mentioned, that he was also investigating the files, the 2015-2016 files, where actually he was investigating Agnelli and, and I think a few others. They were basically on the loop back then. And Santoriello, he, he even, you know, archived that case back then. So it's just, you know, rats that are trying to put out things out there. You know, Juventus have certainly done something wrong which is also why you have the whole board stepping down and why the new board members that are coming in they are simply just clean lawyers who are there to try and clean up the mess as much as possible and it's not like people who really can say passionate about football they're just people in suit basically and it just proves like indirectly that that something has happened and of course, I'm not the one to judge them and until other things are proven, you are innocent. So let's just see what's happening. They're obviously going to appeal this case and the final uh, comma is not made in this case. It's just sad for Italian football because it's just it puts Italian football behind. Like what Italy really needs, they need, for instance, new stadiums to generate match day revenue, to generate profit all around, to try and keep up with other leagues. And in order to get those stadiums, we need either the World Cup or the European Championship. But FIFA or UEFA is not going to go out there and say, OK, now we're going to give it to Italy because they're just having a clean record and all that stuff. So this case is not helping at all. And Italy needs this World Cup or this European Championship in order to put out the money for the various cities to rebuild new stadiums that will help to be more modernized and to generate that profit that you can see um, the stadiums in, in Germany and in England is, is generating so much more than we are. And it's just, it sets us back so much. But on the other hand, on the flip side of it, I would say that it might be also the the necessary call that is needed out there to completely clean up things to say, okay, it's going to hurt so bad because if Juventus is going to be relegated, I don't know, but potentially relegated with more point deduction or whatever, if they are going to be relegated, naturally we will see a drop in the TV rights with the TV agreement, which obviously is going to have an impact on all the other clubs. But I'm sorry to say, but it, it has to hurt. Sometimes you need to take one big step back 
in order to take two steps forward. And I think that's what we're standing right now. I'm, obviously, I'm just sad to see it because I have a lot of my friends who sometimes look down at me <laughs> in, in a way saying that, oh, you support an Italian football team. And I do it with pride and, and I'm happy to do that. But while they're just supporting someone in, in England or Germany or whatever it could be, because they're looking down at Italy being this country full of corruption and everything. And it just, it's sad that it has to to have that reputation, so to speak. This is definitely not helping. So it's so bad in all aspects, really. We're almost out of time, so I'm just going to make a couple quick comments on it. But I think while those comments might have been inappropriate or unprofessional, they don't negate the 14,000 pages of evidence that implicate Juventus in that case. And as you said, they're going to appeal, so we'll let that process play out. But it certainly seems like they still did what they did. You know, I wrote an article about this on how what Napoli did with the Osman swap deal pales in comparison to what Juventus did. And all of that remains true. And the other thing is almost everyone in Italy watches football. In all likelihood, they support a specific club. I mean, it's their national sport. But that does not mean that professionals can't be professionals, right? It does not mean that if you support a certain club, then you can't be a prosecutor, or for that matter, you can't be a match official or a member of the Fiji Chi. People are still capable of having sporting allegiances while also being professionals and doing their jobs without bias. And, you know, you mentioned 2004, you mentioned 2015 and 2016. There's so many examples that we can go on and on about. I would recommend that everyone check out Angelo Forjona's page. He's a writer. I think he's Napolitano. And he posted on Twitter with a link to his Facebook post where he went into great detail about all of these specific different situations that have happened over the years. And I think that's enough to show that we can't make a decision based on this video, which by the way, was from 2019, right? It it was (laughs) conveniently, it just happens to surface on social media. Like I wonder how this video suddenly got out there and you have people like Lapo Elkan who are, retweeting it saying interesting or suspicious or whatever he said i mean i don't even know what he does for for xor but i think this video should not change the decision making process around that case i think it'd be way more concerning if it did because that would say even more about the italian legal system and the bureaucracy and the red tape and all of that stuff so hopefully the court does what's objectively right and is not swayed by this one little video just like you're saying also with the Chiro Santoriello like he cannot jeopardize his profession in all this so he would be so stupid if he did so like like you're saying everyone has a team football is a religion in Italy and that's the topic of the day all the time so no question that he cannot jeopardize these things so yeah it's just another video out there yeah exactly okay so that is where we'll leave it Chris thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today Thank you, Joe. Thank you, as always. You're always welcome. So you can find Chris on Twitter at ChrisKaiserDios. That's Dios with the number 10, of course. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore FiscetD5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoli Pod. I will be back soon with another episode to preview the match against Cremonese on Sunday. And if I have time, I will try to do an update on the Femenile. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.